Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. So this is the first of a three-part series that uh, we're doing that um, is what Andy meant to say for the last 37 years. No, that's not true. I'm just kidding. But it is a great series starting today called Following Jesus Beyond the Cross. So we're going to take a, a look, kind of an examined look at three individuals who were followers of Jesus post-crucifixion. So we're going to start with this one, the destination. There's usually this understanding that when you follow someone, you're going to get somewhere. There's a destination. Whenever I would come home and say to my parents um, that I got a new friend, they would say, so tell us about this new friend of yours. You see, the issue was that Friends had influence, and my parents were big on the idea that following the wrong friends could lead to trouble. Knowing that, I often wondered about my friends and their parents and what they might be thinking. Did my friends have to go through the same interrogation with their parents about me? It was always a wonder that I had. There's a story in Luke chapter 23 about two people whose paths had led them to the worst possible ending. You see, as a way of supporting their secret trial of Jesus, the religious leaders impressed upon the court to also crucify two other criminals, thieves, most likely murderous thieves, known to be detested by the public. Now, to put Jesus between those two would be to indicate that his crimes were significantly worse But on top of that, it would create a distasteful gathering of haters and and mockers around Jesus' followers and relatives who might try to come and mourn the loss of their beloved friend and son. As it worked out, it actually paid off for them. It worked. The crowds gathered, many no doubt planted, to heckle and throw jeers at Jesus. Mark and Matthew record that Even early on, those two thieves joined in the mockery. But Luke mentions a more detailed account that most assuredly took place soon after these initial attacks. Perhaps it was that morning when he woke up, hearing that his crucifixion day had come. Perhaps it happened before that when his sentence was passed down. Or perhaps it happened long ago, as a young man, when he came to understand following meant giving in and settling for the path of least resistance. As he hung his head there in that cell, he knew now it didn't matter anymore. The choices of a lifelong string of shortcuts now had chained and bound him to a path that led right to death and most painful deaths of all, crucifixion. 
As the guards pulled on his chain and drug him like a beaten animal out of a darkened cave, he looked up at the sun. It stung. But he wondered, quite possibly, would this finally give him relief from the misery of feeling so desperately lost all these years? Maybe his mind races back as he's pulled through the streets to an earlier time when choices were still available. He remembers that first pivotal moment, still just a child. Looking down past the coins in his hand, he sees the man lying on the ground, his eyes stricken with fear. Just tell him that you found him this way. And he just gave it to you. No one can prove anything as long as you keep your mouth shut. Maybe he figured he could slide through with that cover-up, with rationalization and just kind of deflecting. It was their word against him, and it was his word against a dead man. Besides, he wasn't actually responsible this time. And in his mind, he thought, it really was just given to me. I mean, but that lie only got him so far. Eventually, his word meant nothing. Soon, his name and his reputation would be dishonored, and his life would become just a downward spiral of aimlessness, rejection, and despair. Soon, the Romans had him singled out. Soon, the courts would never believe him. Now it didn't matter whether he was innocent or not. Any robbery that took place, his name was the first to come up. Anything found on him would always be believed to be stolen. No matter how many times he said it. But no, this was, this was just given to me. No one believed him now. And here he was, staggering down this road. And also being pulled alongside of him, his accomplice his partner, perhaps his betrayer. Soon the reality of the day would shake him loose from his thoughts and the rough timber was pushed on his back. The agonizing weight of crucifixion had begun. Crucifixion is not something that you can associate really with administering justice or even punishment. Because In that, there is this assumption that there is a form of some kind of humanity, but there is no humanity in it. There is nothing in this act that resembles an understanding of personhood. As the crosses were lifted up and and put into place, no one was shouting out, okay, easy does it. No one was wondering, do you think we should maybe cover them up? Those who hung on a cross were considered insignificant, valueless, mere objects to be ignored until they were no longer moving. No one was concerned. No one talked about dignity. No one cared. At least that is how it felt to the thief until the cross next to him was jammed into the ground. Right away, The thief knew something had changed. It didn't feel right. Or at the very least, it didn't feel the same. It was confusing. There was this hatred and cruelty, yet 
the response from this man met it all with no resistance, no defensiveness, no malice. In the confusion, it seemed that his reaction should be the same as it always was. Go with the path of least resistance. So he chimed in with his cohort to fit his words into the jeers of the crowd. But he stopped. At first, he didn't even know why. Perhaps it was because he realized it was over. He's hanging on a cross. Why was he worried about fitting in when that path had led him to this? Perhaps he was just tired. Tired of being angry, blaming, deflecting, avoiding. Or perhaps it was just seeing his face. You see, Jesus did that a lot. There was this instant connection that left you no choice. You could either accept his engagement or you had to repel it. Because Jesus is all about engagement, bringing you in. The one thief blurts out, some Messiah you are, and continues with the crowd. But then this thief, as if he could actually back up, raises his words from his heart that he's never heard his lips say before. Stop. Have you no honor left at all? We're getting what we deserve, but but him He's done nothing. He does not deserve this. And then he says his name, maybe for the first time. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Ah, he's not just engaged. He he finally sees. He knows who he's talking to. And the one who's listening knows him too. You see, it's more than just engagement. Jesus was listening all along. Through the physical pain, through the mental anguish, Jesus was still listening to the words, the shouts, the cries, but he was also listening to the hearts. He was always listening to the hearts. That is why his responses are so empowering. He sifts through all the surface reaction and hears what's at the heart. He did that with Nicodemus, with Jairus, the woman at the well, the woman whose touch stopped him in his tracks, and the woman pulled out of her home and accused of adultery. Each of them came face to face with the creator of the universe, and in the midst of their utter hopelessness, he does two extremely profound things. Number one, he truly hears them and considers the path that they're on. Isn't that incredible that every day Christ, along with the Holy Spirit, is right here hearing our thoughts, our cries, our hopes. Not a moment goes by that he doesn't have us in his care. And that's the beauty of it. He knows all of this and still can't stand to have us apart from him. But secondly, knowing what God knows, he now begins to reveal himself to us. He shows us not only his presence, but his character in the light of how we are best able to see it. He does this with the thief next to him. 
He sees his life and he listens to his words and the trajectory of his thoughts. And finally, he's hearing there's no if you are the Messiah. There's no if at all. There's no assumptions made anymore. What the thief might have thought about was this man is now way past the notion that he was merely innocent. He is sold out in his belief that he is no longer dying on a cross, but truly living for the very first time in his life, right next to his Savior. So he cries out. And sheer joy, actually. Jesus, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. Now I need to stop. And I feel bad. But every time we get to this passage, we feel like we need to stop and give a Bible study on the theology of soul sleep. And it's not just our faith group. Many people get caught in this discussion on whether Jesus says, truly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise, or truly I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. And there you go. We miss the impact of the words because we're concerned about a comma placement being problematic to a doctrinal teaching. So, if you want to discuss this later, I'm happy to talk about it. But I think Christ does one more very profound thing in this story. And we can't let a comma placement divert us. Remember, Jesus has been listening. And we see that in the thieves' words, by the way, that Jesus has been revealing himself to him. But finally, through these few chosen words, he moves him to see that all of his life he's been trying to fill this emptiness, stealing, yet never really getting anything, searching, and yet always feeling lost. Now, Jesus, in his last hours of life, proclaims to him that his searching is over. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He is the destination. All through his ministry, Jesus had pronounced the kingdom of heaven is at hand so he could truly say to this brand new follower, you're found. The kingdom is truly here. And I'm the destination you were seeking. You know, it's, it's interesting in scripture we read that the Pharisees were so concerned that these two men, actually these three men, might live too long. Their fear was that it would look bad to have them hanging there over the Sabbath. So to hasten their deaths, which in some cases could be as long as three to five days, they forced Pilate to order his soldiers to break their legs so they could no longer push themselves up to breathe. So in John, we read that when the Roman guards came with their clubs to break their bones, Jesus had already died. Meaning that those two thieves had watched Jesus say his last words and take his last breath. I would like to think that there were more words exchanged between those two thieves in that short time they had left before their legs were broken. I can almost hear more accusations now hurled at this new follower of Christ. 
What are you smiling about? I'm a follower. I'm part of his kingdom. How did you get that? This time, it really was just given to me. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.